1: I don't care if the world never knows your name. The most important thing is that the Lord Jesus knows your name. And he knows your name in a way that just as Joanna, just as Mary, just as uh, the others there, they served him, they followed him. Mary, Joanna, Susanna, the Lord would know your name as a servant of his in your life. How does the Lord know you in your name? When we read our Bibles, we learn that
0: God did not choose the most obvious people to serve Him. In fact, the Lord rose up the least expected to do His will on earth. In today's message from Luke's Gospel, Pastor David teaches about a few of these unexpected servants. Luke writes about a faithful few women who were loyal to Jesus. Their names have been memorialized for all of time. Pastor David admonishes us to seek to be known by the Lord as these ladies in Luke were known by Him. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Soil of Evidence.
1: Ever think very much about the people that God uses? I mean, let's look back at it for a minute. Uh, we're we're in the Gospel of Luke uh, in in chapter eight. That's where we're going to be today. But I want you to take a moment to think back of. The people that God uses. I mean, we can go back to the Old Testament and there's quite a few characters back there. I, I think real quickly of uh, Elijah, the prophet, that mighty man of God that uh, on that day on Mount Carmel meeting 400 prophets of Baal. And again, he uh, the, these, these prophets of Baal, they're wanting their God to answer and come down and burn up their sacrifice. So they're yelling, they're screaming out for hours and hours and hours. Their God is not doing anything. They're cutting them themselves, they're screaming, nothing is happening, suddenly it's Elijah's turn, the prophet of God. He comes up and he tells them, okay, let's get some water on my sacrifice, okay, let's put some more water on this sacrifice, okay, let's get some more water on this sacrifice. He fills the thing and trenches around it with water, and then he prays a very simple prayer that God would come and receive that sacrifice. And bam, fire came down from heaven, not only devoured the sacrifice, but also devoured and sucked up all of the water around the place and then they slew those 400 prophets of Baal a mighty man of god and then shortly after that one woman spoke a couple of words against him if i don't have his head by the end of today and so what happened to this mighty man of god he beat feet and headed to the mountains He ran away. This mighty man of God that withstood 400 prophets of Baal. And one woman says, I'm going to have your head, son. Ladies, you've got powerful voices out there. We can go on even further into the uh, Old Testament. We look at guys like King David. Man, the the apple of God's eye. A man uh, that God said, he's a man after my own heart. He was the one that God had anointed to be the king of Israel. Even today, Israel looks back as their greatest king, being King David. A man who loved the Lord, a warrior, and yet also a, a poet and a writer. We look at the writings of David in Psalms and we think, wow, how powerful is that? And yet that guy was a, he was a warrior. He was a, he was a fighter. He was a, the commander of the armies. He was the king of Israel and he could write the things that we find there in the book of Psalms. And yet even this mighty man of God, this one whose heart was after God, who oh, God said, the apple of my own what happens to him? He puts himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Not only does he commit adultery with Bathsheba, but then when her husband won't help cover the sin of his own life, he commits literally murder by taking Uriah the Hittite, telling uh, Joash to put him in the front of the battle and then pull everybody back and leave him there. What a great man of God, right? Yet God still used him. I don't get that, do you? I don't get that at all. Until I look at my own life and I think, okay, I I can see how that works. It's the grace of God. We move on into the New Testament. And you got to think for a moment. These 12 guys that are following around with Jesus... The 12 apostles, the ones that he's going to say, okay, now you take it and go with it now. I'm going back to the Father. It's going to be up to you. Well, one we know is a traitor right off. But at the same time, you need to understand that all 12 of those guys had been with Jesus for many years, those three years, three and a half years. Most of them were there during most of that ministry. We see these men being the ones also that get sent out on mission, that Jesus sends them out, and he says that in my name you'll cast out demons. In my name you'll heal the sick. In my name you'll even raise the dead. And they're blown away by this. You need to understand, who was there with that group that went out? Also Judas, at the same time, Judas. But Judas isn't the only one that's a little questionable of character. You've got to realize that among those 12, there are also a couple of the guys that they called zealots. You know what a zealot is. A zealot at that point in time, they were the ones, they were ready to pull a sword and take the head off of any Roman at any point in time because they hated the Roman oppression and the Roman rule that Judaism was under. The zealots were the ones that they were ready for guerrilla warfare at any point in time. It would have been no problem for them. A couple of the disciples were zealots. One of them was also a tax collector. We know that in that culture and in that time, the tax collectors were looked down upon so powerful. By the people. Why? Because they were almost traitors to their own nation. They were Jews, but yet they were under the employment of the Roman oppressors. And not only that, but most tax collectors cheated. Now, we think of cheating on our taxes. No, the tax collectors back then were the ones that cheated. They would charge you more than your due, and they would pocket whatever they didn't have to send to Rome. We have these kinds of guys. and Oh, we had uh, oh, James and John, uh, the, the Sons of Thunder. Hey, Lord, shall we call down uh, hellfire and brimstone on these guys? Because... They're of a different denomination than we are. Uh, you know, surely they can't be following, you know, they were doing other things. And what did Jesus say? No, they're not, they're not against me. They're for me. But that's the kind of guys that they were, always jostling for position and power. Let us be on your right. Let us stand with you. I want that place. I want this place. They were arguing about the greatness of who they were within the kingdom. Oh, and then we can't forget poor Simon Peter. I love Simon Peter, but he gets picked on a whole lot. But he is the one who walked on water. He is the one who stood and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He is the one that Jesus turned around to and says, Good word, Simon, you did good. But I know it's not you, but it's the Father in heaven that gave that word to you. Because in just a short time after that, it's that same Peter that goes up and says, Oh, Lord, you don't need to be crucified. We'll keep that from happening. We'll make sure that never happens. And then that great man of God, that great man of faith that got out of the boat and walked, and nobody else walked on the water except Simon Peter. Nobody else said that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, except Peter. That great man of God... Jesus turned to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't want Jesus describing you in that kind of term, amen? Amen. And yet God used these men. He used these men for his glory, for his honor, for the birthing of the church and for the edification and the growth of the church. God uses frail, fragmented, fractured, stained people for his glory. He's not waiting for perfection. He's waiting simply for obedience. We, we're, we, we've all got stains. We've all got chips. We've all got holes in our character. As, as good as some of you are, truth be known, there are situations, there are issues in every one of us that still need healing, still need deliverance, still need renewal in our lives. And yet, you know what? God can still use us if we're simply willing to be used. I'm going to look at some situations as we look in Luke chapter 8 of people that God uses. You're going to have to listen quick because of the time. So in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we read these words. And now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of god and the 12 were with him and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities mary called magdalene and out of whom had come seven demons joanna the wife of chusa uh, herod's servant or steward and susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance we see here women that that are mentioned, these three women—women women of both uh, uh, high estate as well as low, women of means as well as probably women that simply had nothing else other than just simple ability to to serve. I can I I can't do anything else, but I can perhaps cook a meal. I I, I can't do anything else. I don't have any money to give, but at least I can serve in an area. These women followed the Lord, followed His disciples out of love, out of devotion, out of that heart of gratitude for what the Lord had done in their lives and for who He was in their lives. Some of them had been healed of infirmities. Some of them had been healed of sicknesses, diseases. Some had been released from demonic possessions. such was the case with of Mary of, of Magdalene. Mag, Magdala is where she's from, a little village not too far from Tiberias. We, we find Mary's devotion to the Lord really to be exemplary. Uh, so, so much so that we've, many have tried to say that there was this thing going on between Mary and Jesus and some have even said, well, Mary Magdalene and Jesus were married and they had children. What a bunch of garbage. This is a woman who had been touched by God and because of her love for the Savior, forsook everything else like the disciples did and followed him just in a heart of service. This woman who desired to serve the one who at once became her deliverer, her redeemer and her Lord. She was fully and completely devoted to Jesus. Above all the other women, she was the one that was at the crucifixion. She was at the burial. She was there in those early resurrection morning hours where they came to take care of the body of the Lord and according to the biblical records she was the first one to see and to speak to the risen Redeemer. Luke speaks next of Joanna the the wife of Chusa Herod's servant. She was among the women again they were either healed or delivered of something we don't know all we know is just her name there. Uh, we do know that her husband uh, was Herod's servant. And Herod Antipas, he was the king ruling over Galilee. Anyone serving in that court was subjected to all of the wickedness, the grossness, and the perversion of Herod's court. Chusa was his main servant serving there in that household. And apparently during that time or during that culture, he was known well enough by Luke's first audience so that Luke could say, Oh, that's Joel. Joanna, you remember, uh, Chusa, Herod's servant, his wife, and you would remember that because you lived in that culture and you knew that. For us, it's not a whole lot of information for us other than to know who the name and, and what his position was. We don't know if he was a believer or not. We don't know if he was alive or dead at this point in time or not. If he had passed away, that would have definitely given Joanna the opportunity to be able to follow the Savior fully as a steward there in Herod's court he had the responsibility and very possibly a a well-rewarded position some say that the the stewards were slaves but when you're a steward in Herod's court it's probably a a better standing that you might have if truly he was an employee rather than just a slave Joanna might be a woman of, of wealth and influence and yet she's following the Savior walking with him ministering and serving to him Joanna's faithfulness was such that she was still a follower along with Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and other women on that resurrection morning when they went to the empty tomb and they were the ones that ran back and told the disciples that the Lord had arisen. She was a woman of devotion, a woman of commitment, a woman of A servant's heart. The only other woman that's named here is Susanna. And this is all that we know about her. This is the one and only mention that we have about Susanna in the entire Word of God. However, I wonder if perhaps she was so well known among the Lord's followers of that day that again, all Luke had to do was mention her name. And everyone would have known her, and they would have known about her commitment and devotion to the Lord. It's, Joanna was with them during that time. It was during the Lord's ministry. You remember, that's Joanna that was with them. And everybody would say, oh, wow, she was there that early on. They would have known who she was, I believe because of her reputation. If we were to mention names today like Billy Graham, how many of you know Billy Graham personally? Okay, none of us, but you know who he is, and so when we simply speak his name, you're familiar. C.S. Lewis, some of you have read his writings. None of us know him personally, but we could speak of C.S. Lewis, and many within this hearing would know and understand who he was. So I believe in the same way, Joanna had a reputation among the believers. We, now in the 21st century, don't know a whole lot about her, Don't know anything about her background, what was going on in her life. But let me tell you this, the Lord Jesus knew her name. The Lord Jesus understood who she was because she walked the path with him. She ministered to him, even to the point of his burial and at his resurrection, she was there. And beloved, I don't care if the world never knows your name. The most important thing is that the Lord Jesus knows your name. And he knows your name in a way that just as Joanna, just as Mary, just as uh, the others there, they served him, they followed him. Mary, Joanna, Susanna, the Lord would know your name as a servant of his in your life. How does the Lord know you in your name? It says Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, many others provided for him from their substance. The one thing we know for those who are true followers of Jesus Christ They are the ones who support the work of the ministry, even as it says here, from their substance. Large or small, in need or in plenty, a committed believer is committed in every area of their life. Do you realize that when Jesus called you to himself and when you came to faith to receive the forgiveness of your sin, you became part of the body of Christ, he took all of you. He didn't take just a part of you, he took all of you, and he wants all of every aspect of you to be his, to be loyal to him, and to be in service to him. These women, and as it says, many others, I believe that could be both male and female, they gave of their time, their their talents, and their treasures in order that the work of the ministry could continue unhindered, by by the the normal and natural physical needs for those that were serving out on that front line, they needed to be fed. How easy that would have been! Jesus could have said, "Oh, you hungry? Okay, bam! There it is, man. We got a, a full meal deal right there in front of you." Why? Because Jesus could speak the words. Could Jesus have done that? Absolutely. Oh man, my clothes are getting really stinky, Lord. Bam! You're 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 clean. You know, it's washed up. Uh, I've done everything. You know, took out all the stain. You're fine. He could have done it that way, but he didn't. He used normal people just like you and me in service to the work of the kingdom. That continues to amaze me still to this day. That God would use normal everyday people as frail and as incompetent as, as, as stain filled as uh, rebellious As I am, he'd still use us. He still is willing and desires to use us. Through the personal sacrifices of all of them, they provided the finances and the service of caring for the Lord, caring for his disciples as they ministered in very direct ways to the multitudes that followed. True followers of Jesus are not selfish or fearful. Let me give that to you again. True disciples of Jesus are not selfish, nor are they fearful. Now, does that mean that fear doesn't enter my life? No, no, fear enters my life. I walk out in the dark alley. Okay, a little. Flat. Okay, I'm gonna, I want to make sure where I'm at. Uh, but do I live my life in fear? No, I can't, because I know that God is in charge of my life. It doesn't mean that there's not times that fear will overwhelm me for a moment or a day or whatever it might be because of situations. But when I come to my senses and I surrender that to the Lord, I don't have to live in that fear. Selfishness. As, as a believer of Christ, I know that all that I have is His. How can I be selfish in the things that He has given to me to be a steward of in His kingdom? We need to be surrendered to His work. We need to be surrendered to seeing that work of His kingdom spread even to the uttermost parts of the world. It's through faithful stewardship of our lives, lives that have been changed by the gospel that the gospel continues to go forward to touch the lives of non-believers, and also in order that believers can continually be encouraged and taught the truths and the words of faith, in order that they might grow in that grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this morning a very powerful question. I don't want to see any hands. I I don't want you to respond to me. This is between you and the Lord, okay? If the gospel message and the work of ministry depended upon individuals and families who gave and served just like you give and serve, how strong would the kingdom be? You're getting pretty tacky there, Pastor. If the work of God's kingdom depended upon the faithfulness of individuals and families like you in your faithfulness and dependence, would the kingdom continue to grow or would it have to shrink back? Because there is no Sunday school teachers? Because there's not the ability to be able to reach out in Jesus' name in areas of of, of ministry? If everybody gave and served like you gave... Where would the kingdom be? Okay, let's move on. Just file that one back there. Verse four, chapter eight of Luke. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said to them, "To, To you it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it's given in parables, seeing that they may see, and or may not see, and hearing that they may not understand. He's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 6. More often than not, people see what they want to see, and they understand what they want to understand. More often than not, we, we, can throw, we can throw filters before our minds and our understanding. But I like the fact that, that Jesus here gives great clarity to those that he knew desired to follow him. Those that he knew were, were desiring to be obedient to his word. And so he gives them the key to this parable.
0: We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on Earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need.
1: Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks,
0: Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us